Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, the CEO of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment. Today, we are meeting with Steve Randazzo. He is the CEO of Aware Recovery, an extremely innovative home-based addiction treatment program. But before we speak with him, let's hear from our sponsors, Track 9. Track 9 Informatics is a data-driven approach to substance use disorder and mental health treatment. By assessing nine pathology and resilience factors that have been scientifically shown to be most critical to client success each week, Track 9 identifies which clinicians excel at treating which client symptoms, provides facility-specific clinical outcome analytics compared to national averages, and learns your facility-specific predictors of treatment success or failure, all of which help your program improve client outcomes, support payer negotiations, and reduce AMAs. To get a free consultation on how this data-driven approach can improve your program, call 833-998-7229 or email contact at track9.com. I've been trying to get Steve on the show for quite some time, so I'm excited to have him finally join us today. Uh, He's been very busy, obviously, building AWARE and also raising a new round, which he just closed early this year. So AWARE Recovery is expanding into, I believe it is, nine states at the moment which Steve will talk a little bit about. And one of the things I wanted Steve to share with us was just his experience building such a unique program. I think home-based care is something that is extremely needed within the addiction treatment space. And as Steve will explain, aware recovery and the services that they provide does not actually replace inpatient treatment or even other forms of outpatient treatment, but it mainly works as a really extensive wraparound long-term aftercare program. And some of the, the results that Steve shares are, are truly phenomenal. So very excited to have him share his kind of journey and the learnings he's had with us as he's built this program and the advantages it has for patients. So with that, let's jump in. Hey, Steve, really appreciate taking the time to join us today. Do you just want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Aware Recovery? Sure will. How are you doing, Nick? Uh, my name's Steve Randazzo, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aware Recovery Care, Inc., I have spent most of my uh, background and uh, the first 20 some odd years of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, working uh, to lead field-based pharma teams um, in you know, many different uh, chronic d- disease spaces, diabetes, virology, mental health, infectious disease. So I had an opportunity to be in the healthcare field for, for a long time. In 2010, I had an opportunity to leave a startup company that I was with and begin to pursue uh, the addiction field. I I am a recovering person um, in my 24th year of recovery and have been in the recovery process previous to that since I was about 20 years old. So I've had a lot of experience with the disease of addiction personally. In, uh, like I said, in 2010, I had an idea and was working with some people on 
developing a, you know, a new or alternative model to addiction treatment. Um, and we, we began to develop and launch a new outpatient level of care called IHAT or in-home addiction treatment. So IHAT um, is a four-phased biopsychosocial delivery model with the home as the treatment center. Over the, ba- uh, the past three years, the IHAT platform has expanded to include in-home withdrawal management and in-home mats. So we've focused on you know, developing and launching that, that four-phased modality uh, where we didn't use any specific facility-based programs or you know, peer group type of led traditional industry programs. We did all in-home intervention and family intervention. And uh, we've been doing that the whole time. And the payers, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, have asked us to go further with the platform. So we've uh, continued to develop that. But um, the differentiation is something that I, I really want to make mention because being a recovering person, you know, I've watched how individually, you know, million, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people recover in a, in a very different way. And the traditional model is really been relatively unchanged over the last 40 or 50 years. So aware, like I said, has a really a, a different treatment philosophy the traditional inpatient and outpatient facility-based group therapy model, like I said, hasn't changed a, a great deal. It's not that it really needs to change. It serves its purpose, but people, I believe, and certainly now after 10 years of doing this work, I, I know that an alternative is needed and, and uh, you know, there are people that bond to this alternative. So AWARE created a, a more individualized and family systems approach to treatment. A really good model. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show and it's quite unique. Can you give us a little bit more insight into kind of the structure? So obviously it's in the home treatment, right? But who's all involved as part of the clinical care team? You know, is this just a clinician? Do you have therapists? Like who all actually supports the patient in the home? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a, a completely uh, unique multidisciplinary team that, you know, starts with an addiction psychiatrist. We have social workers, RNs, recovery advisors or certified recovery advisors. We call them CRAs. We have family uh, liaisons, LMFTs. So, you know, we have an entire team that's individually assigned to each client and family and works within a four-phase program. All of those individuals, either paraprofessionals or professionals, are all, you know, all have certification as IHAP practitioners. So they go through a special certification so that they can learn how to work in the field and, and with, you know, all of the different interventions that, that we have, our technology, uh, you know, process, et cetera. So it's, it's uh, you know, a, a pretty significant training process to come on board. But, you know, not so onerous because most people, I think, that come from the traditional facility-based world, they're not, they, they really like working in the field and, and they, you know, the processes that we've developed are very intuitive. They get to build, you know, closer relationships with, with families and, and really see over, 
a longer period of time, uh, you know, how those clients do. And, and, and I think they have uh, as individual practitioners, like I said, either paraprofessional or professional, they have an opportunity to, you know, to really mold the patient's path. But I, I did want to just mention that, you know, the, the alternative, the IHAT alternative here, you know, allows, once again, people, it doesn't mean that it's better or worse than, you know, traditional outpatient facility treatment or uh, inpatient facility treatment. You know, many people come out of those uh, modalities and, and uh, link up with, with aware recovery care as, you know, a more chronic uh, continuum. But, you know, a lot of people do need a choice, you know, and, and that treatment choice is something that we're finding as, as we're escalating and growing that uh, there's a lot of people that are looking for an alternative. So, so once again, peer group, sober living options, virtual IOP, you know, that that's pretty much a standard playbook, as you know, you know, and then like I was saying, again, aware has found that hundreds of thousands of people are really looking for a more individualized approach. And, and lastly, I, I just to kind of comment, um, you know, the ARC philosophy, you know, is that clients are, you know, that this is a treatment level of care, you know, that needs to be at least one year. Um, and then people assimilate into usual care or aftercare. So what I heard the whole time and one of my, you know, one of the reasons for, for developing this program was that, you know, people would, well, while I was going through EAP programs, I always held, held on to a job, you know, when I was uh, kind of in and out of recovery, but I was all, but people, when I went to treatment residential, they always wanted to send me away to somewhere in the, you know, to a sober home or a sober lit, you know, and I was like, wait a second, I have a job and I have like a life, you know, and, and I, you know, and I just didn't, you know, it just didn't fit in well with, with what I, I wanted to do. So we, we wanted to put, you know, and we, I understood that, you know, that I actually, you know, I relapsed a lot. So I, you know, maybe, maybe I could have used, uh, you know, some more structured living, but, you know, once again, that wasn't really an option. For, I mean, it was an option, but it wasn't really a good choice for me because I had career and stuff in front of me. So we, we tried to, you know, give those people that are in that situation an opportunity to have the structure in an in-home addiction treatment team, you know, that may similar to what they would get, you know, in, in a communal living process. And then people that are thirties, forties, fifties, sixties with families, I mean, they don't necessarily want to go and live, you know, in a, you know, with a whole bunch of guys or girls and, and sober living, because it just doesn't really fit. It fits maybe 20 year olds. And, but anyway, the, the whole point was that it, it just didn't make a lot of sense that there wasn't more options that, you know, instead of just aftercare, when you left treatment, you just go to aftercare, people really need to be in a, a more robust treatment level. And, and so that's, that's what we did uh, when we designed um, the four phases of in-home addiction treatment. And you mentioned the year time frame. Is that is that the average length of stay for the program? So our average length of stay is uh, 259 days. Pretty much, we're we're um, you know we're trying to keep people within the four phases. So the first phase is six weeks. Second phase is uh, up to you know six to twelve. 
third phase is 12 to 24 and fourth phase is the last six months of the program. So, you know, a lot of times we, people don't complete the full year, not because they haven't completed all their treatment goals. They just complete their treatment goals earlier than a year or so. So we, we don't, you know, even though, so for instance, since you asked the outcome question, um, one of the comparators with other outpatient level IOP, PHP type of programs is at six weeks, we have a 94% completion rate. At 12 weeks, we have an 82% completion rate. And at uh, 52 weeks, we have a, a between 60 and 70%, but about 63% completion rate. So once again, you know, much you know, much different when you're individualizing the approach and you're meeting the client where they are. And, and to be honest, you know, you're getting leverage. I, I mean, you're coming into somebody's home, building relationships and, you know, establishing some leverage so that when people do have the relapse remitting part <laughs> of the disease that, you know, that they, you know, they, there's a team there that's supporting their family and supporting them, getting them stabilized and, uh, Somebody just shared this data outcome with me that I thought was interesting because I didn't even know that. But, um, but our average days of relapse in a full year, so when we started to look at all the patients that we've treated over the last seven or eight years, the average days in relapse are two. So that's a, I didn't know that, but that's a pretty cool statistic because it's not like people don't relapse, but they don't relapse and run. Right. You know what I mean? They, they, they relapse the teams, there, family connection, you know, it's just, you know, people are like, Oh, okay. You know, I screwed up, you know, I can get, and they get back on the horse, you know, which, which is nice. I'm super interested in the model. I'm assuming too, with the, you know, year long kind of baseline standard, but you're not going to have everyone come at the same level. Right. So you're talking about those different levels where I assume they lower in intensity over time. So you probably don't have everyone that comes in at the highest level of intensity based on their addiction severity. Right. So there are going to be some people that just don't. They, they, they do not. And, and in, in some cases though, the first phase of recovery you know, unless people have been in treatment for an extended period of time, the first phase of recovery is necessary because that's what it takes to build those relationships and put the family systems programs in place and do the assessments and evaluations and, you know, put, you know, so, so there are, you know, the, the, the levels of care in phase three, phase two, three, and four alternate but ultimately the first phase is, is a, a somewhat essential phase. Um, but we are, we are developing, and, and since it's not out yet, uh, what we'll call AWARE 2.0, which is a broader uh, delivery platform looking at you know, people that are less acute as well as you know, people that fall into more of our, our standard and traditional AWARE recovery care platform. And so you mentioned it a couple of times, but you guys have a pretty strong technology integration. You've actually built a couple of things from scratch. Do you want to kind of discuss those a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, our, our, our entire um, treatment curriculums and, you know, decision-making platforms for paraprofessionals and professionals are, are all uh, built and uh, within, you know, our particular EHR and utilized in um, to as as 
I'll use it for lack of a better word. One of my uh, internal pra practitioners could <laughs> describe this better than I could, but you know that we use the these decision trees, if you will, as ways in which people can access the interventions that that we've developed at you know at certain levels and. Yeah, so all of the areas, the family program in in particular, the 52-week program is all very, you know, specific in in curriculum and tools and um the care coordinator process with the social workers and nurses and the medical side is all very very specific. Our newer uh in-home withdrawal management and uh in-home I I mean in-home mats programs are all unique our uh specific recovery advisor or certified recovery advisor curriculum, as well as FEF, which is our, our family liaison uh, processes are, you know, all have, you know, well, well built out tools that uh, we've been using for, for many years. But with that said, the next phase of evolution has been in process as with, with a lot of companies. So, you know, a, a much heavier uh, AI and ML or machine learning platform is um, we're moving in that direction. And like you and I were talking about before this call, you know, just the project management systems are very innovative. The, the technology options right now uh, in for the field are, are just phenomenal. And, and we've gone ahead and you know, moved toward a lot of new technology um, and, and new data analytics tools to help us uh, with prediction modeling and uh, with treatment and training um, and certification going forward. So you mentioned a couple of those, you know, amazing outcomes really, right? In terms of uh, success rates, you know, monitor relapse. And, you know, I think the traditional assumption in the space is would expect the opposite, right? The whole model has really been get the person out of their environment, get them into this, you know, safe kind of distanced residential program, an initial response. And you guys aren't doing that at all, right? You're keeping them in their, their home. You're keeping them in the exact environment in which they probably use to a high degree, so what do you think it is about the program or, or do you think just that the assumptions are wrong? You know, why do you think you're, you're so successful or patients are so successful in this model? Well, I mean, I, I think what happens is that, you know, the model was, was developed after, you know, a, a psych hospital type of modality and people, I mean, we are firm believers in residential treatment, actually. Uh, I mean, we are firm believers in that people, I mean, we, we, we prove it even in our own program, there's, we might have success rates of, you know, 70%, but people do cannot uh, have op or, or often do not stabilize in the outpatient and they do need uh, inpatient types of treatment. It's just what happens is if, if it's only treatment is considered inpatient and everything else is aftercare, that's the problem. <laughs> it's the continuum and the fragmentation, you know, so we have a, a longer continuum. We bring a multidisciplinary team together. We have a very uh, consistent philosophy and many of the patients, I would say, I don't know if I'm quoting this exactly correctly, but I would say 40, 50% of our patients probably come to us after, uh, after an inpatient treatment stay, 
it might be 30%. I, I'm not sure, but, but we, we do get a lot of people that are, you know, leaving a stable stabilization period or, you know, or uh, have gone to an inpatient detox. But what we're good is if, if patients do destabilize, you know, we, like I shared that statistic of two days, we're right on it and able to restabilize those patients in, you know, in the outpatient. And if we can't, then an inpatient stay is, is warranted. And, um, and, and that, that does happen as well. So, so I don't think we're very disruptive, I guess, is my point. I, you know, people are like, oh, you must be so disruptive in the industry. And I, I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I see we're a viable alternative and a, a wise, intuitive continuum. You know, it's, it's just a way that people can engage with their families, their systems, their work systems, life systems, family systems. We have all special interventions and, uh, you know, ways in which we help patients, help clients and patients develop in those areas. So it's not as radical, <laughs> you know, it just is more logical, actually. <laughs> That makes sense. And so I assume you guys have a screening process in place and you guys are able to identify someone that's probably going to be successful in your program versus someone that might need, you know, say an inpatient stay prior to starting at AWARE. Would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there, there's many, I mean, and there's many times when, you know, now that we have in-home withdrawal management, we are able to take people that can, you know, respond to outpatient detox or ambulatory detox, but there's a lot of people that are looking for in-home withdrawal management or detox, uh, and and they're not able to do that. So so we work very closely with in every state that we're in, with um, you know all all of the local uh, you know detox and residential programs, as well as IOP uh, you know PHP. I mean we we had you know even though we're not doing a lot of group, I mean we do targeted virtual groups for co-occurring disorders, but we you know, we don't do a lot of relapse prevention groups and traditional groups, but people do respond well to those types of groups. And we certainly assimilate people and work with people to assimilate into, you know, 12-step groups and kayak clubs. And, you know, we, we help people assimilate into group types of therapies that are in their local, local environment and community. But pretty much we uh, don't have that as as our foundational delivery model peer group. And speaking of that kind of community integration, so you mentioned a couple of times the family, the family systems approach. And this is something that's definitely gonna be unique to your model, right? Where you're gonna be in the home where I would assume, you know, a good portion of the time family members are there. So how integrated is the treatment you provide with the family versus just the patient? And what have you seen in terms of pros and cons to that? Yeah, well, I mean, we do have a separate path for families and, and we certainly connect them to their own, if necessary, their own recovery path. But we are, we do have a bunch of interventions and coordination that happens to, you know, help the patient to understand the stigma of medication assisted treatment or something like that, or the necessity for you know, what, what they're doing on a daily basis for their own recovery. So, but, but to answer your question, it is interesting. We did not have a robust family systems program when we launched that wasn't part of the original platform. So that 
became a necessity. <laughs> so, so that wasn't something that came out of design that came out of a necessity. Uh, and we had brought uh, some LMFTs in and really started to develop a, a systems approach. And, and I, I would, even though we had great results in the beginning as well, some of that was due just to the intuitive group and the smaller uh, size of our company. But when we brought in the specific family systems programs that we offer now, certainly enhanced, enhanced our program immensely. And then, you know, share, share as much as you're comfortable with here, but really kind of curious about the business model end of it. So traditional treatment program, again, sending people into to a facility where you have, you know, a lot of people serving a lot of patients, where your model is much more individual. And there's a lot of obviously labor costs that goes into that. There's a lot of logistical costs, right? You're trying to get a lot of different people into multiple homes, arranging travel, you know, whatever the needs might be. So I'm just kind of curious how you were, were able to figure that out from, from just a, a you know, kind of financial viability standpoint in terms of making that complexity and that cost structure work. Yeah, I, I mean, the nice part about it is we, we have an entire industry of home health care to, you know, to take a look at that operation model. Granted, they don't do anything with addiction or treatment, but, you know, they, they certainly have a wide uh, body of information on the, the labor allocation and operation of the VNA has been around for quite some time and, you know, home healthcare. So I, I did uh, spend a lot of time working with people from that industry and in that industry and even within hospice and, you know, some of the more specialized uh, delivery areas of home healthcare. And, and that helped inform uh, the way in which I designed our operational model. And, you know, of course, technology helps significantly and, you, you'd be surprised that the uh, licensing bodies uh, within all of the states that we're in have always been very, very open-minded to, you know, a alternative types of delivery. So if you ask the traditional people that own the facility-based <laughs> treatment centers, they, you know, or outpatient treatment centers, I mean, they would tell you that this is the way it's done. This is the way you have to be licensed. And yes, that's true. That's the way it always has been done. But there's a lot of people with very open minds that are considering uh, more uh, versatile field-based operations. And now, as you know, with the pandemic, there's been a massive <laughs> switch or at least an, an open-mindedness to delivering care you know, virtually and in other ways than just a facility group. Uh, so we've kind of been ahead of the curve there, you know. Sure. And so that kind of brings us to that payer question. So what has the payer response been? And again, also having that cost factor in there, like initial assumption would be, be, be really expensive, you know, to care for someone in their home with multiple specialists coming in. How, how did the payers look at the model originally? How do they look at it now? Are you doing fee for service? Is there more value-based care reimbursements? How does it all kind of play out? Yeah, I mean, most of our reimbursement model is is value based care um, and and bundled rates. So we uh, we don't use any any fee for service models. Well, that's not exactly true. Some of our uh, out outpatient uh, ambulatory detox codes are 
you know, our fee for service, but, but everything else is, is a bundled value-based code or specific bundled payment option. So that helps us a lot of times when we're, we're not perceived when we come into, uh, you know, a new state, people don't look at us as, you know, a disruptor really, because we don't even use the same codes, you know, that, that they're, they're using. And, and so we're, we're able to, uh, you know, work closely with other providers. I, I mean, I think people that are own, you know, or scaling the traditional platforms, I, I think they see us as, you know, a, a future competitor, <laughs> you know, but I, I think, within the local markets, we, we work very, very well, you know, within a continuum and, and are very additive to, uh, to the current model. And then what about, so you guys just, you know, raised another round. So congratulations on that. That was back in what, December, I think that closed. January 20th. Yeah. But yeah. (laughs) And you know, that, that was something that was kind of new to you, right? It sounds like you hadn't necessarily done a lot of fundraising in the past. So do you just kind of want to talk about your experience and how investors have looked at this model and and just different responses and thoughts around that process? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, after the pandemic, post pandemic, I mean, I, I think everyone is, you know, scurrying around and just, you know, making sure that they have a telemedicine option and, you know, looking at virtual uh, IOP groups. I think it's going to be a while before we see if the virtual IOP groups really do have the same effect as the traditional IOP groups. And, you know, so, I mean, there's still, you know, there's still more to to be determined, but certainly from a convenience standpoint, I think in every kind of medicine, I don't care if you're in primary care medicine or specialty addiction treatment or mental health, I mean, uh, the convenience of, of uh, telemedicine and uh, the convenience of, you know, virtual therapeutic options is, is something that we've been offering for a long time, you know, in our, in our field-based uh, mobile, mobile model, but something that, you know, other, other providers are, are now offering as well. I mean, what we see is that it really can be, you know, our, our platforms are actually broadening, you know, that's why I use the term platform over and over again, where maybe two years ago I was using program now people are asking us the you know the payers the reason why you know I took growth capital on was because our platform continues to expand and we continue to offer you know a greater uh, array of services and you know I mean even from a primary care standpoint when people are in a long-term addiction program they have different primary care needs and uh, so we're building out curriculum and, pr- and uh, programmatic, things that we can deliver through telemedicine. And, and then just alone, as I know, you know, this, but the data analytics, AI, machine learning processes, not just for training and certification, but from taking, analyzing what you, what you're doing and what you're delivering and, and making, you know, helping to make not only predictions, but treatment decisions that are better than than we were previously able to make before. I mean, that's part of where, where the investment goes. And, and that's where the entire industry is moving and the entire mental health and healthcare in general, right? You, you know that. And, um, you know, so the nice part is for us, it's really not anything new. It's just, 
better tools. We're getting better partners. <laughs> things are being, you know, you can do things much, much faster than ever, ever before. There's a million opportunities. Things really aren't that expensive, <laughs> you know, because there's so many uh, operators in, you know, in the tech uh, field. So anyway, it's, you know, it, it's exciting. Um, but you asked me a specific question I didn't really answer, but yes, the uh, tech, I mean, the um, venture or private equity environment actually really hasn't been adversarial. It really has been, keep using the term additive, but they, we, we were in, I don't want to say desperate need, but we were ready. We were absolutely ready for this phase you know, we have a new board, you know, uh, Health Enterprises Partnership or HEP is a, a phenomenal private equity company for us. They're in the space, uh, have a lot of contacts and connections, you know, not just within the payers, but, you know, w- within the, the field of uh, mental health addiction and, you know, home health in general. So, we've just, we've just found it a welcome, you know, welcome addition and, you know, what, where we're going in the future is probably going to be other series rounds and further expansion and partnerships. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're a big platform and uh, a platform that's getting bigger. How many states are you guys in now? So we're in nine states now. Uh, well, two of them launching Rhode Island. We've recently launched Indiana. Rhode Island, Virginia will be launching this year, potentially New York or Ohio this year. Um, and then we're already in Massachusetts, Florida, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Maine. Yeah, I mean, that's rapid growth. I mean, because you guys were really just kind of in the Northeast up there in the corner for, for, you know, the first couple of years. Yeah, that was our pilot. I mean, our pilot was in the first couple of years, and and uh, and once we once we went in network with Anthem, Anthem's been a, a great partner. Beacon is opening up all kinds of uh, different opportunities for us uh, with their forty or fifty million lives. I, I just got a. I think we cover right now. Um, oh yeah, here it is. So it's we currently cover over thirteen million lives. Nice. Yeah. So. Uh, or, or our program has an access to cover 1395. Right. Yeah. And then I was curious about those outcomes. So we, we kind of shifted off of those, but you know, you guys have been tracking outcomes from the beginning. It's been a pretty important part of the mission. You know, so what interesting outcomes have you tracked or what have you learned from the data in terms yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I mean the you know, internal outcomes obviously are 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 very interesting and they're, you know, they're they're year long. Like so we're we're tracking outcomes that other traditional facilities, you know, they, they start with an N of 4,000 when they have year long data, it's telephonic reporting on 60 an N of 60, you know what I mean? So they started with 4,000 and the data is really robust. So when they're looking at PHQ nine and stuff like that, from admission to 30 day discharge that, you know, that data is very impressive as you would expect. But uh, when they're looking at their longer term outcomes, the, the data is not as robust where it, where it is for us, you know. So I, I just I'll mention a couple key metrics. So family engagement during treatment is about 84 percent, which is definitely helps us. Uh, employment rate for those completing a full year of treatment is 75 percent of people are employed uh, after completing a full year of treatment. 
negative UA toxicity at the end of uh, a full year, 71% of people have a negative uh, UA tox. A couple other areas, which, which are basis, we're, we're talking like PHQ-9, but basis 32 is what we use. So people come into our program with uh, significant impairment or depression, anxiety, daily role functioning, psychosis, impulse, and addictive. So all, you know, all of the areas that are measured and at, at discharge after a year, we have significant uh, reduction. So for instance, depression and anxiety, I'll just give you one example. People come in at about a 1.16, say, you know, which is approaching significant impairment or certainly above moderate impairment. And they leave at uh, like a 0.37 is uh, fully functional, indicates fully functioning with no significant impairment. So people are getting better <laughs> you know, in our, our program and, and they're, they're better after a year or two. Um, and then some of you know, the other post-treatment results. So after six months, uh, we, you know, we have some surveys reported being, 78% uh, of people reported being abstinence from drug and alcohol six months post-treatment reported improvement in uh, family uh, member relationships, 95%. So the family, family aspect of the program, 79% reported being involved in 12-step meetings or recovery support groups uh, after a discharge. 66% reported that they were still involved in outpatient therapy. So those are all important. And then as, as you might imagine, and I, I definitely want to include because this is the, the big hitter is the, uh, is the claims data, right? That's, you know, our internal data is one thing, but the claims data is external. So 85% reduction uh, during treatment in IP, in um, uh, inpatient stay, uh, stay admissions and 72.6% reduction in inpatient admissions post-treatment. Wow. 80.4% 80, reductions in ED admission or ER admissions during treatment, 58.8% reduction in ER admissions a year after treatment, 80% uh, reduction, 87% reduction in PHP days during the year-long treatment, and 82% reduction in PHP days uh, post-year. 79% reduction in IOP days, as you would imagine, because we're kind of a supplement for IOP, right? Sure. Um, during the during phase, but but a 69% reduction from from the pre-year uh, in IOP days post-year. So so we've got three-year data that Anthem has uh, been utilizing for us, and uh, over the last since 2015. So we've got you know we've got some decent data you know, knock on wood, the philosophy and the assumptions that we made are, are, are right. We've, we've been evolving the program, you know, once again, it's a field-based operation. So we, uh, we, we don't get the benefit necessarily of groups other than specialty targeted virtual groups, but we, um, we certainly have this new um, engagement and we like to say, and I'll end with this, that, um, our process is super engagement, you know, like everybody talks about, you know, their new uh, peer recovery coaching um, telemedicine thing is improving engagement, but 
you know, these, these programs about bringing multidisciplinary teams, you know, into somebody's system and family system that creates super engagement and that creates the kind of results that I, I just reviewed with you. So we're, we're very excited. The future's bright. And, you know, I, I do really appreciate you, uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, be interviewed on this podcast. I really, really appreciate the time, Steve. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while. I know things have been super busy. So I appreciate you taking that time and sharing the model because I think it is an amazing option for patients as, as you you know really made clear here. If someone wanted to get in touch with you or aware recovery, uh, what would be the best way to do that? So for, for clients interested, please visit awarerecoverycare.com for general contact inquiries, contact ASK aware at awarerecoverycare.com. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for your time, Steve. I know you're on a tight deadline here, so really appreciate the time and I'll let you know once this is up for all our listeners out there. Um, as always, we appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next time.